Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership, where we connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important topics to help us on our journey towards greater significance. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Michael Raub is a healthcare veteran and the founder of Inflection 360, where they specialize in helping their clients successfully outcompete in their markets, grow, and exit at significant valuations. Before starting Inflection 316, Michael had senior business development roles at Western Dental Services and U.S. HealthWorks, as well as had more than two decades of business expertise as a strategic advisor and consultant, corporate executive, and investment banker. Michael has also earned a BS in economics from the Wharton School of Business and an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Our interview will begin right after messages from our sponsors. Have you been wanting to launch your podcast and just haven't found the right resources? I launched Master Leadership Podcast in 2016, and it now ranks in top 1% globally. I've gathered all I've learned and created Master Your Podcast in a Weekend course on Master Your Swag app so that you have everything you need to share your voice with the world. Minus those excuses. So download Master Your Swag app on Google or Apple platforms to access the Master Your Podcast course and launch your podcast this weekend. Welcome, Michael Raub. How are you? I'm doing well, Lily. Thank you for having me. So we're excited to have you. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? I'm absolutely ready. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Uh, yeah, thank you. I started my path, I guess, back in college. I was in uh, the Wharton School of Business as an undergraduate, finance and marketing. And I made my first career jump into the field of investment banking and anticipated that, that would probably be a long-term career path for me. Uh, I spent a few years there before going back to business school. I decided I have a few more things to learn. I went to the University of Chicago and focused on finance and accounting. Uh, and then went back, actually, not just to investment banking, but to the same firm. It was a firm called Donson Lufkin and Jinnerette. So I did two different tours of duty uh, with the same investment banking firm. Uh, but I was in San Francisco for my second go around. And this was right around in 98, 2000. And so I made the jump to the dot-com sector in 2000, which I think for those historians know that that may not have worked out so well. Mm-hmm. I was with a company that was about to go public for about three months, and then the bubble started tremoring. And then I was part of you know the dot-com crash uh, and went from a company that raised $150 million to being the final employee down the road. So oh there were some life lessons there. But thankfully, one of the things that helped me along my career path is that uh, a colleague and a former uh, classmate of mine both had 
made an introduction to somebody in the healthcare space in the field of a surgical center. So before I knew it, I was helping run a group of surgery centers in Southern California, building them and growing them and got to the point where I had hundred physician partners across multiple sites. We sold it to a public company and that began my healthcare journey, which is now 20 years in the making. So I learned a lot about operations, which I never thought I'd be in. I mean, literally surgical operations, but actually functionally operating a business. I'd always been a finance guy, but then I went, returned a little bit to my roots and joined a company called US HealthWorks in the occupational medicine space. And I headed up business development. So I was doing M&A and buying clinics around the country and took that for, did that role for a few years, added about 20% to our footprint before I jumped out and went on a variety of entrepreneurial ventures and landed in about five or six years ago in the dental space with a company called Western Dental, came back to the corporate world to be the first business development head of that company, a hundred year old company with 200 locations, but had never acquired another group. So 10 months, 40 locations. Then I went back out into the world where I was really focused on working with emerging groups, helping them to raise capital, helping them prepare for exits in some cases. And in other areas, just really focus on long-term strategic vision and growth. So that's what I've done for the last six years. I'd formed a group, my own firm, Inflection 360, which really focuses heavily on the merger and acquisition and capital raising side, but also, again, with a lot of long-term strategic initiatives. So it's, it takes me a little bit back to my banking roots, where I get to work with a variety of companies, executives, and really give them guidance from what I guess now is a lot of years of corporate experience that I have. So who are your clients? I primarily work with the, the C-suite of emerging growth, uh, multi-site healthcare service groups, a lot of dental groups, medical groups, really those that are in the position to go out and if they would choose to, they're already big enough that they could take on private equity. That seems to be my sweet spot. Many of them don't have need for a full-time M&A or development expert. So I've played that role in a part-time capacity. And again, others, I've taken some very long-term strategic roles are really helping them just move from a mom and pop type company into a more corporate environment and helping them round out their team. Your journey has pivoted several times. Yeah. yeah. Call it inflection 360, because I think you've come around. <laughs> to the we're market. not done yet. I don't know if we're done yet. Sure. <laughs> For sure. You're not done yet. So when you think of leadership in your journey, what's the couple of major points that you've learned about leadership thus yeah. far? One thing I, I've learned, and I try to emphasize it over the years, is that first of all, you need to have a plan and really build upon it. But I think whatever plan you have will be wrong. It may be better. It may be worse. It may be entirely different. You may have to veer left or right. right. But I think you still have to have some guideposts and some direction to run your business. That's a key one. Because if you're just moving along and trying to be successful without a clear path, it's hard to, for the team who may be a team that you have to see your vision if you can't articulate it yourself. So that's one thing I've seen over and over again and where I see some groups have struggled. And then when they start better defining that vision, I feel like the success comes naturally with it. The other is, as much as you can define a role for someone, I think you still have to look at a person as an individual human being and not everybody has the exact same skill sets. Even the same educational background, as you know, is going to have some different personalities come to work. So I think you need to learn to play to people's strengths 
but then give them the opportunity to continue to grow and be successful. And it's where I think when you try to force somebody into a role, just because it's what you think you need most, you may be missing out on what's really the true value of that individual. There's always some parameters. You can only go so wide. If they're the wrong person for the job, they're the wrong person. But if somebody's great and they get into your organization, just figure out how to hold on to them, help them grow and get the most out of them. And that's really going to benefit the business the most. I think those are the two things I see repeatedly that if you can have a vision, stick to it and really understand your people and play to their strengths, you know, growing companies and businesses can really find a lot of success. So let's say our listeners want to connect with you. What's the best way to do that? My website, inflection360.com is a great way to contact me. I'm on LinkedIn. I promise there's only one Michael Raub, R-O-U-B on LinkedIn, (laughs) but I'm pretty responsive there. That just seems to be the way I've built my communication path over the last 15 years. So I'd like to communicate with people that way. Either way, they'll find me. All right. Fantastic. Now, as a lifelong learner, what are you Mm -hmm. learning right now? I am learning a lot because I'm working currently with two different companies in much more of a strategic operational capacity than I had been doing in recent years. So I said most of the last several years focused on acquisitions, but I'm now heavily involved in some day-to-day operational activities at a couple of businesses. And I think in that time, particularly in the last few years, how the world has shifted, the remote workforce, whereas I wasn't having to live it and deal with it firsthand, the inherent challenges of having a remote workforce, while the opportunities created to find people, a talent that you couldn't find otherwise in your local market, but really managing those people, staying connected, and most importantly to me, building a culture. Here we are on Zoom, but that seems to be half the workforce I talked to in one company. How do you have them feel part of the culture and tie into the business? I definitely see that's a big challenge and a learning and watching a lot of the tools the team is already trying to use to keep engagement up there. A lot of activities and interactions that are not purely dotting T's and crossing I's. Or, uh, but we say that differently, dotting (laughs) I's and crossing T's. It's been a long day already, Lily. And then that's okay. Sometimes we do that. One's more successful than the other. So, yeah. yeah. So, I think that's been a challenge for a lot of us. You know, building culture and leadership remotely is difficult. It's also given us opportunities where I do a lot of leadership training and I'm able to reach a lot more people. My challenge, the challenge that I have um, (laughs) um, come across is how do you keep people engaged and wanting to come back? And that's on me, right? I need to up-level that skill and that's my responsibility. So the onus is always on us. So whatever you continue to learn, keep, you know, sharing that. All right. So when you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? I think we just touched in a little bit about most concerns me, but I think that the additional component of that is by having the ability to hire people from across the country, around the globe, and some types of businesses, so can everybody else. So as much as it creates an opportunity for the business, it creates a tremendous amount of opportunity for everybody else that's competing for talent. And we know how hard it is to find anybody in the workforce. So I definitely think it's the big concern to me The area of business that I've least ever wanted to focus on directly is HR, but I mean, more and more and more, I mean, talent acquisition and human resources, the capabilities of these individuals or teams to really find talent, attract them and retain them. It's a really a lot of work and it it takes a special skill set. And I think increasingly more so. And 
like you said, how do you keep them engaged? My idea on that is you hire people who are really good at keeping people engaged. <laughs> but I, yeah, one of the companies I'm with is doing lunch and learns periodically. There's a book clubs. There's just some things that are a little off the day-to-day business, but have some elements of learning and engagement that should benefit them professionally. But in the broader sense, it's just trying to get people to build relationships as much as anything else. And I think it's important. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the education space. And the challenge that I have is this professional development on Zoom. And a lot of it is death by PowerPoint, even though we're in education. It's like, oh my God. And so the challenge that I have when I'm bringing something to the table, they're thinking it's another sit and get. The onus is on me to make that different. And so to get them to a point where they're not just, oh, another professional development with eyes glazed over, it's I'm getting fed. And that's the challenge, but I love it. I love what I do, you know, bringing great talent, but also helping to develop them is important. It's actually on that point, this one group I've been working, you know, closely with now, I've been working with them for four years, but in a much more active role in in 2022. And I found that in some of the interactions and meetings, it was reporting the news, but we're not engaging in the conversation. So like you said, it's like, here's my five tasks I did, but okay, well, what does that mean? Why does it matter? Why should anyone else on this call care? And I think that's goes back to your point of making me not feel so static and sterile, but there should be a point to, if you're going to have a meeting, there should be a point. And <laughs> if you have to set the agenda, and if there is, you better make sure everybody understands it. Otherwise, I do think it's just people sitting back, glazed over, cameras go off frequently, right? There's a lot of ways, but even face-to-face now, you still see that same issue, right? It's, I think it's a paralysis by over too many meetings of not meetings for the sake of meetings. And so keep it on task, have a point. And if there's no point for the meeting, everybody should be thrilled that you cancel it, whether in person or remote, that's a real, I think an ongoing point of frustration for me at times. And so, you know, Michael, I know that your days are full and you've got a lot going on. What do you do to set your mind? I do a couple of things morning and night that I think have been really important for me. One is I'm not really a morning person, but I seem to have to live as a morning person. So I try to exercise virtually every morning. I'm addicted to my Peloton these days for the last few years. So that's a big part of my existence. But for me, I just need to start the day without trying to think too much because I can wake up with my brain running. That is almost essential for me. The other component of that is I like to, at the end of the day, when the phone's not ringing and I'm not going to look at another email, really just take a time to think about the day ahead and what I'm trying to attack so I can hit the ground running in the morning. That's like a 10 or 15 minute exercise that I find out makes me much more productive in the morning when I'm instead of trying to think about what I should do first. I've already sort of thought it out. And of course, your best laid plans get you know, foiled by a call or something else. But again, having a plan and, and at least giving yourself the opportunity to be successful with that. So those two components, exercise and planning the night ahead a little bit, it also sets my mind at ease so I can go to sleep a lot more easily. Uh, it's just knowing that I'm going to be okay the next day. And I've got a plan of attack. And, you know, self-care is so important. We don't practice that a lot in education. And I'm always talking about self-care because especially with leadership, because there's so much pressure on them. In the healthcare industry, it's the same. A lot of people don't practice self-care. What do you think about that? You know, fortunately, it's a topic that comes up over and over again now. So I, I think 
it would be hard to find an organization that's not aware of it. But I agree with you. Do I think most organizations are doing enough about it? And the answer is no. I think one thing that's helping that is I'm starting to see insurance plans, even though I feel like insurance gets increasingly worse. Uh, I do feel like the mental health component of it is getting better. And I think that is critical for whether it's 15 to 55 or whatever, every year, you know, after that, I mean, everybody needs to be able to have that resource and take away the stigma of having therapy, whether that's meeting with a therapist, maybe going to chiropractic, which is also going, you know, the next level of other forms of wellness, alternative forms of wellness. And I just think that from a pure mental wellness standpoint, I think that that is absolutely essential more, you know, I know people are concerned about stress and trying to manage that internally but not lose the productivity. So I think giving more resources external and not make the organization try to figure it all out, whether it's insurance and medical providers or outside groups that have really sort of brought those tools to the table. I think it's really critical. And, and I hope because the burnout factor, I, I investment banking, I, I can't think of anything that creates more burnout than working 80 to hundred hours. I can tell you what, I can tell you. Preschool teaching. <laughs> oh, no, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Uh, you know what? Uh, I think I could do that. I got tired chasing my kids when they were little. I had two, not a room of 20. So that's fair. <laughs> see that point. Yeah, mentally exhausting and you're always on. And I think that's the point is you can't have a moment to relax. And even during the day, I think that I'm not afraid to go take 15 minutes to close my eyes, shut down to reboot or do whatever else to sort of get myself back to where I need so I can feel functional and productive or just to take a walk. And I think that uh, there's enough studies out there, as you know, that just taking 15, 20 minutes can do wonders for everyone's productivity and just their state of mind. And it's important for leadership to not just model that, but to also give space for our employees or, or the people we lead to do that as well. Not to call them in the middle of the night for something or early in the morning, let them rest. All right. You have an option here, Michael. So you can take a question from a former guest, or you can share a challenge or a struggle that you learned from. Is it like spin the wheel, pick a challenge question? It's a virtual wheel. <laughs> we'll do it. We're going to, I'd rather just take it, take it, be surprised at what I get and All see right, what happens. Here we go. All right. So Cesar Quintero wants to know, he's big on vulnerability. So he wants to know, how do you promote vulnerability within your organization? Well, that's a good question. I think a great way to promote it is lead by example. And I think that means being quick to admit you're wrong. You're having a conversation with somebody who works for you or works alongside you. Mm-hmm. If you're wrong, call it. And I think you can learn quite a bit. You know, I think people respect that, but recognize that it's okay to be wrong. I think in business, right, every book on leadership is going to talk about making mistakes and how you grow from them. So if you can't live that, that, hey, I just made a mistake, big or little, and I own it, where do we go from here? I think that type of vulnerability actually makes you a heck of a lot stronger as a leader and as somebody to work with. And it does certainly lend itself to guiding others in how to move forward and that mistakes should happen in some level. And I think it's really important. Well said. Thank you. Now, as a listener of this podcast, what's a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? Like, what are you curious about? I think so much, and it's really, you know, an evolution of business in the last decade and being, I guess, you know, somebody who's been in business for a lot more years, but the social impact and change and businesses truly having 
a mission to them. And I don't mean every business, but more and more, I think people are really looking, they're starting businesses with a purpose. And so to me, I'm always curious, what is really that ultimate purpose that you're looking to achieve, whether it's from the business that you're in or as a result of the business that you've created? How are you looking to make a difference personally or in the broader world? That's a great question. And we will certainly pose it to our upcoming guest. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Things move pretty fast in the world today. And I think the businesses have to be nimble and have to grow. And I think with all of the challenges that we've already talked about, getting the workforce, retaining them, having a vision is really having people on your team that understand your vision and your culture and really promote it is essential. And I don't know how many companies or businesses I've now worked with at this point in my career. I'd have to sit back and try to do the math. But you know, time and time again, the businesses that have been successful in the most rudimentary businesses to the most technical businesses, it all starts with having, there's a culture or a mission that actually reads as true and authentic and really living that. And I think back to the vulnerability of when the leadership's able to really articulate what they're about and why and how the business matters, engaging your team, you know, way back to the beginning for me early in my career in the surgery center world, I quickly realized that on a day-to-day basis, I'd be bouncing between locations. I didn't need to be at a given location all the time for things to work. But if one orderly was calling out, if a nurse wasn't there, if our receptionist wasn't there, the orderlies and receptionists were my sort of lowest paid employees. But if one of them would be out on a day in a big surgery center, it could disrupt operations. And recognizing how valuable your, you know, I guess, quote unquote, lowest level employees. And I think it's important not to think of them as lowest level as, but the, maybe the lowest paid, but maybe some of the highest level in terms of importance and interaction with clients or customers, letting those people understand that they have value, not being afraid to let them know that they're valuable. I mean, I think sometimes people don't want to tell people they're too valuable. They're afraid they have to pay them more. I think right now you can win a lot of people with loyalty and appreciation and compensate them fairly, but not being so full of yourself to, you know, lose sight of the fact that everybody matters, you know, whoever turns on the lights in the morning to whoever leads at the end of the day, everyone plays a role. If you can live that and lead by that, I think businesses, you know, tend to do very, very well. I've really worked hard myself on trying to make people recognize not being shy with praise. And it's a whole lot easier to give criticism if you're also giving them praise. So, and and trying to balance it out. You know, you said it, it's not just about money. You know, the three questions that people are asking, can I trust you? Do you care about me? And can you help me? That's what they want to know. Those are the three things they want to know about their leader. And so if you value them and you add value to them, you know, it's the same thing. You and I will go the extra mile for someone who appreciates us. Yeah. It is about adding value to others, knowing, seeing, appreciating, and leading the way in that regard. And so with that, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, You're an expert, so it's great to talk to someone with your experience. And you're right. Those teaching preschool kids probably deserve the the most high stress. So that's going to rattle back in my head now after this. And those are our future leaders, by the way. So, yeah. Agreed. So thanks so much. All right. Have a great day. You too. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. 
So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.